Thanks, everybody, for joining us on this next episode of the UDOT Cottonwood Canyons podcast series. I'm Matt Allred. I'm UDOT's internal communications manager. And with me, and I couldn't do the job without her, is Lisa Miller with our uh, traffic management division. Lisa, how are you? Hello, Matt. I'm great. How are you? And you're too kind. Well, thank you. It's it's good. I'm actually really excited about this um, this podcast series. First of all, uh, I just found out we've we've got thousands and thousands of people that are listening to this so far. Um, so I, I'm excited to get the, the, the word out there. This is kind of cool. With us today are Josh Van Jura. Josh, we good to see you again. Well, thanks for having us, Matt and Lisa. And it's a little nerve wracking to know that this has been listened to thousands of times. So thanks for that. Yeah, no, I just wanted you to be at ease as we talked today. I, I feel that really helps is when you know how many people are actually listening to us. Uh, and we've got Terry Warner with our little Cottonwood Canyon EIS project. Uh, these guys are both on that team there. And just like every podcast that we're doing, they're going to help us understand uh, really how to manage the traffic and encourage transit use uh, and use all the alternatives to get up the canyon. So today we're actually going to talk about the gondola alternative and and the pros and cons of, of that and and we're just going to get it going. So, Terry, we've we've met Josh a couple of times here. Go ahead and uh, tell us who you are. You're new to the podcast. Tell us something about yourself and, and what you do on the EIS project. Sure, Matt. Yeah. Hello, everybody. Hello, listeners. I'm Terry Warner, born and raised here in the Salt Lake Valley. I went to Murray High School and the University of Utah. I've been skiing or snowboarding in the Cottonwood Canyons basically my whole life. I think I started about nine or ten years of age. I ski mainly at Snowbird, and that's where I married my beautiful wife, Michelle, there at the Cliff Lodge. Um, I'm an engineer, and I've been helping develop the gondola and the cog rail alternatives for analysis in the EIS. So that's the reason I'm here today, is to help uh, us all understand the specifics of those alternatives, well, the gondola alternative. Uh, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, we're, we're glad you're here. Good to meet you, Terry. We're very glad you're here, but let's let's talk to Josh. Now, Josh, before we get into the, you know, before we jump into the details of the gondola, I had a thought since the last time we chatted. Can you tell us more about tolling? Now, would tolling apply to all of the alternatives, buses, gondola, and the train? So it would, and that's probably something I should have more clearly said in that last episode. But yes, tolling is being considered for all of the alternatives as well as occupancy restrictions. But again, I just want to remind everybody that this would only be in place for the upper canyon. So entry one and above. So for example, a backcountry skier or snowshoer who are touring out of White Pine wouldn't need to pay the toll or the occupancy restriction if that was chosen wouldn't apply. And the other part of this is this would be a congestion-based pricing model, which means that the tolling or occupancy restriction is only going to be in place during those busy periods, you know, Saturday, Sunday mornings, holiday periods. But those random Tuesday afternoons, the tolling or occupancy restriction wouldn't be in place. But again, this would apply to all of the alternatives. So thanks for asking that follow-up, Lisa. Thank you for that wonderful answer. Very illustrative. Let's get into the details of the gondola alternatives. Josh, tell us about what these alternatives are really all about. 
So similar to the two bus options, we have two gondola options also. And I'll hit the similarities in those two options just in the beginning. So the gondola that's being considered is a 3S system, which is different than the gondola you're probably imagining in your head. So this isn't like the one that they have at Park City Mountain Resort or even the one at Telluride. But if you've had the opportunity to ski at Whistler or Kitzbühel or visit the 3S system in Vietnam, that's more what we're looking at. So the 3S system has three cables, two of which are a guide or track cable and then one haul rope. So again, it's much bigger than what you're probably imagining. And each cabin holds 35 people. So 24 seated and 11 standing. So these gondola cabins actually aren't that much smaller than a bus, which holds 42 people. And under both of these scenarios, a gondola cabin would depart the base station every two minutes. So let's talk about the first gondola option. That's gondola A. And this has a base station at the existing park and ride at the mouth of the canyon. So with this alternative, riders would have to park at one of the mobility hubs, so either the gravel pit or 94 South and Highland, and then they would take a bus to the base station, and these buses would depart the mobility hubs every five minutes. I think another thing to mention with this alternative is that there's no kiss and ride lane. And so a kiss and ride lane is where parents, spouses, friends drop off their passengers and alleviate the need to ride that bus. But again, under this option, there's just no room to accommodate that additional traffic that the kiss and ride lane would generate. So there just isn't one here. And I think that's important to note. So passengers ride a bus, go to the mouth, the park and ride at the mouth, and then travel up to Snowbird, where they could get off near the Cliff Lodge or continue on the gondola up to Alta where they would unload just uphill from gold miners. Travel time for this option is 63 minutes from the park and ride up to Alta. And if you break that down, that's 12 minutes to park at the gravel pit, you know, grab your gear, walk over to the bus stop, wait that five minutes for the bus, and then 13 minutes from the gravel pit up to the mouth of the canyon four minutes to get off the bus, walk over the gondola platform, and then 24 minutes to ride up to Snowbird or an additional 10 minutes to ride up to Alta. So that's how we get that 63 minute total travel time from the gravel pit. Cost for this option is 546 million capital cost or the upfront cost, and it has an O&M cost of 8.3 million for winter service. Sounds like kind of a fun way to get up into the canyon. And um, I do remember when I was in Brazil by Sugarloaf, they had a gondola down there that sounds similar. But before we move on, wait, hold up. O&M? Tell us, tell us more about O&M. What's that all about? Sorry, sorry. Acronyms. Um, O&M is operations and maintenance. So this is the cost for the gondola operators, the bus drivers, tires and oil changes on those bus and you know similar mechanical maintenance for the gondola so that's what the O&M cost represents is really those costs to run the system and that's an annual cost so jumping into gondola B this is very similar to gondola A but 
The difference is where that base station is located. So under Gondola B, the base station is actually located off of North Little Cottonwood Road. Um, and this is on the Lakai property. And this extends the overall length of the gondola by about three quarters of a mile. With this option, there'd also be 1500 parking stall structure that you would enter from North Little Cottonwood Road. But it also has those two other mobility hubs at the gravel pit in 94 South and Highland. But because of those 1500 stalls, those two original mobility hubs would actually be a bit smaller. So in this option, the first 1500 vehicles could go from their car directly onto the gondola and not have to ride a bus. But again, vehicles 1500 and above would need to ride the bus. But also because this area is less constrained, there, can't, there will be a kiss and ride lane for passenger drop off and pick up. Travel time for this option is 55 or 59 minutes to Alta, depending on where you park. So it is a little bit faster than the other gondola alternative. And again, this includes 12 minutes to park, grab your gear, walk up to the bus or gondola, and then 27 minutes to ride the gondola up to Snowbird, plus that other 10 minutes up to Alta. And again, that's really just because the alignment's just shy of a mile longer. So I know I'm throwing out a ton of numbers here. Um, I would recommend everybody go to our website. You can look at these fact sheets and get into more details. Um, just a reminder there, but cost-wise, this option is 576 million and has a winter operation and maintenance cost, Lisa, of 6.9 million. And the difference in that O&M cost, you know, that reduction of 1.4 million a year is really the difference in that 1500 vehicles at the base station. Because of that, we can run fewer buses and the buses would actually run every 10 minutes than every five minutes. And so that's where that cost savings comes in. And really quick, Josh, you mentioned the website. I just want to throw that out there so people know where they're going to find this information. So it's littlecottonwoodeis.u.utah.gov. So littlecottonwoodeis.u.utah.gov. Lots of dots in there. So Terry, what are some of the operational considerations that we're looking at here? Give us some details. Sure, Matt. Um... The travel times that Josh mentioned, they're based on a travel speed of about 18 miles per hour while the gondola cabins are attached to the haul cable. Those cabins are detached from the haul cable and slowed to about one to two feet per second as they pass through the terminals to facilitate loading and unloading. It'd be hard to load a gondola when it's traveling about 20 miles per hour. But as Josh mentioned, they'd arrive about every, every two minutes. The, gon the S3 gondola with its two track cables can actually operate in wind speeds of about 68 miles per hour. And typically gondolas are affected mostly by lateral or, or crosswinds. And with these gondola alignments running closer to the valley floor, where the winds would tend to blow in the kind of the same direction as the gondola alignment or up and down the canyon, we don't really expect uh, strong crosswinds that large. 
very often. We think that would be pretty uncommon compared to a, a gondola alignment that were to run along a ridge line or at the top of a mountain. So that's one aspect of the S3 is its ability to operate in, in higher wind speeds. Another aspect of the gondola is that the cables can span over avalanche paths. You know, that said, UDOT would not operate the gondola during times of active avalanche control. And this is the same for all alternatives. UDOT cannot fire live rounds while the public is on the gondola line in a train or even on the roadway. The operating difference with the gondola is that when the active avalanche control work is complete, the, the gondola can often open a little bit sooner compared to the road. Let me explain that a little bit. So the main reason for the longest closure times is that some avalanches, when they come down, they cover the road. And when that happens, it can take hours to clear that avalanche snow and debris from the roadway before UDOT can open the canyon. And we're still proposing snow sheds over the road with the gondola alternatives, as those sheds would you know, provide a, a tremendous benefit with respect to the roadway's reliability. You know, For the same reasons, avalanches could go run out over the road if they do come down. Therefore, snow sheds are being proposed with the bus and the, and the cog rail alternative as well. But again, the, one of the main aspects of the gondola is it has the opportunity to, to get some people off the road and up the canyon maybe a little bit sooner than the roadway. And that's because these gondola alternatives are kind of a non-roadway-based alternative. Again, the gondola riders have a potential opportunity to you know, avoid the traffic delays associated with avalanches, the travel delays associated with you know, slower travel speeds when the, uh, the road is snow-packed, when it's snowing heavy in the canyon. And it's able to avoid some of the delays associated with vehicle crashes and slide-offs that are sometimes or oftentimes due to ill-equipped personal cars, trucks, SUVs, things like that. So, again, being kind of a non-roadway alternative, it has some aspects that are just kind of different than the other alternatives. And, and Terry, you mentioned something there, and I just want to make sure that our public understands uh, the, what I'm clarifying here. You talked about UDOT not firing live rounds while the public is on the gondola line. And just so everybody understands that when we are doing avalanche mitigation in the canyon, we actually have uh, lots of different ways that we, that we will bring an avalanche down onto the road while, while the canyon is closed. And what that allows us to do is to bring the avalanche down, clear the road, and really get rid of that, that danger uh, that could be there later in the day. And so when we fire live rounds, we have a howitzer gun that'll actually shoot a live round into the mountain, causing the avalanche to come down, uh, which then allows us to clean it up off the roads uh, and really just keep that canyon safe so that when traffic opens back up, there's really uh, such a small risk that we're going to have an avalanche that day. So that's, I just wanted to make sure everybody understood what that clarification is. Yeah, thanks for the clarification. Yeah, you bet. Thanks, Matt. That's great. And Terry, that was really good info. But we know that the EIS or the Environmental Impact Statement isn't considering summer service for the bus options. Is the EIS going to be considering summer gondola service? Yes, UDOT has received comments 
that the gondola would provide a tourist amenity in the summer months, so we are analyzing summer usage in the EIS. Uh, we should point out that there would only be three stops, as Josh mentioned, both in the winter and the summer, and those are at the Mouth Canyon, Snowbird, and Alta. So again, the analysis will include impacts associated with the potential increase in non-winter recreation uses within Forest Service lands. Josh, let me ask you a question about a couple of things here. Why wasn't the Lakai proposal initially evaluated and presented to the public with these other alternatives? So that's a really easy question to answer, Lisa. And the answer is, it's because it didn't exist when we started with the 105 initial alternatives that were reduced down to the three that were released last summer. And the Lakai Gondola came about really during that public comment period after we released the three initials. And that's also when the cog rail was brought forth. So during that comment period, we actually got 19 new alternatives proposed. We looked at them all, we put them through the same screening process that the original three were subjected to. And that's how we added those two new ones just before Thanksgiving last year in the addendum. So Josh, I just wanna jump back a, a few minutes here. You talked about the cost of the gondolas. And from what you're telling us, the gondolas would operate about the same, but there's almost a $75 million cost difference between the two options. And one of those options is actually more expensive to maintain. So can you just run us back through that? I know you gave us a couple numbers there and a couple of the reasons why, but I just want to go back and clarify why why the cost difference and really what the maintenance difference is going to be. So the big difference in the capital cost or the upfront cost is honestly, the gondola B is about a three quarters of a mile longer, and that just raises the cost of the overall system. Again, it goes from about seven and a half to about eight and a quarter miles long. So it is a good bit of extra length in the associated extra towers. But a big part of the cost is actually associated with the roadway improvements needed to get those 1,500 vehicles south of the gravel pit and up to the parking structure off North Little Cottonwood Road. So this would include a little bit of extra widening from the high T there, um, the Lakai light, whatever you call it, up to the parking structure. So there would be some additional widening to make sure that traffic flows smoothly and we're not just creating another pinch point on Wasatch like there is at Bangle today. Terry, we've heard some people mention that this type of gondola could actually transport about 4,000 people per hour why was the gondola capacity limited to 1,000 people per hour? Well, that's a true statement. These 3S gondola systems can, with their large cabins, and if we have the cabins arrive more frequently, they can operate at those higher capacities. So the purpose of the EIS is to evaluate projects that substantially improve safety, reliability, and mobility on SR210. From Fort Union Boulevard, the the mouth of Big Cottonwood Canyon all the way through the town of Alta. Um, our traffic modeling shows that to improve mobility in the canyon during those peak times, a reduction of about 30% of personal vehicles would smooth traffic flow and substantially reduce the congestion at the mouth of the canyon, which is where 
9400 South intersects with SR210 or North Little Cottonwood Canyon Road. So during the peak times or peak hours, that equates to the need to remove about 500 cars per hour. And if you assume about two cars or two people per car, that equates to about a thousand people per hour. So we've sized the gondola alternatives and their associated parking areas to accommodate that level of peak hourly demand. So there's really no need to increase the capacity of the gondola. Again, the system can operate a little bit higher frequency. Um, so if there is that future demand for ridership, the gondolas could be scaled up to handle, handle more people. Did UDOT consider any other locations besides Lakai? It seems like this was kind of added to benefit private developers, if I may be so bold. So we actually looked really hard at another location really close to this. And if you're familiar with the area, it's commonly referred to as the Christmas tree farm. And this is that kind of triangular shaped property right where Wasatch and North Little Cottonwood diverge at the high T. And we knew we needed a large plot of land, right? To get the base station and parking for 2,500 cars. But the problem with this location is there's actually been a bunch of geotechnical analysis done on this lot. And it turns out that the main Wasatch Fault runs right under this property. So looking at that, you know, we just couldn't risk literally the infrastructure risk of life. Um, so that was ruled out. And there just weren't any other areas in the in that until this Lakai option was proposed. The other things we looked at, um, we also looked at placing the base stations at both the mobility hubs at 94th South and Highland and the gravel pit. But the problem here is now we would have gondolas running in very close proximity and actually over a number of homes. And we just figured that was unpalatable to those residents. So those options were also eliminated. So I'm, I'm thinking, I love Little Cottonwood Canyon. I, I grew up in the area. Um, one of the things that I love is just driving up. It's just scenic. It's beautiful. Uh, it, it's fall, winter, whatever. It's just a beautiful canyon to drive in. My concern, or what I'm thinking about right now, and Terry, maybe you can answer this, is what kind of, if we put a gondola up Little Cottonwood Canyon, what kind of visual impact is that going to have on the canyon? Yeah, I share your, your view of the canyon. So those gondola alternatives will have about 20 towers in the canyon. And these are tall towers. You know, they average about 60 meters or about 100 feet tall for us Americans. Um, there are towers that are over 200 feet tall. These towers are located kind of in the mid canyon segment around the Tanner's Flat area. And these towers were located kind of on the sides of the Avalanche Pass. And they were sized to elevate the gondola cabins over the top of the Avalanche Pass. So yeah, there's, you know, very tall towers. These towers, um, as a general rule, are pretty large. They're, they're made of steel and they're kind of formed in a lattice type structure. They sort of look like larger power transmission towers, if you can visualize those. And so, yeah, there's a lot of towers and 
And although the tower spacing is probably averages over about a half a mile, the gondola towers will definitely be visible from, from many parts of the canyon. So the EIS will, will go over those, those visual impacts. Now, Terry, that reminds me of another Utah uh, project. We had some fiber optic put into the canyon and some um, cellular networks put into the canyon. And we, we tried to blend those poles really well. So I'm, I'm, I guess I'd be hopeful that you guys would be able to do something similar with, with these. But, you know, outside of the ski areas, a gondola isn't really a form of transportation that Utahns are used to seeing. Can you talk to us a little bit about the reliability of this form of transportation? Um, UDOT obtained some reliability information from a gondola operation in Telluride that Josh mentioned. And the city of Telluride actually operates their gondola year-round. So it's operating in a similar environment as Little Cottonwood Canyon. And their actual operating data show that the gondola has about a 99.5% reliability. <laughs> So what that means is, let's say a gondola has a, a planned operating hours of 100 hours. So it'd be functioning normally for 99.5 hours of those planned 100 operating hours. So that equates to about a half hour shutdown every 100 hours. And that's due to you know mechanical or power supply disruptions, as well as those extreme weather events, such as strong winds and, you know, heavy rains and lightning. And throughout the study, I've, you know, found maybe a, a dozen, two dozen locations, cities within the U.S. and North America that have been studying these aerial transit systems. And all of those have been conducted over the past five years or so. Terry, it sounds like gondolas are very reliable, but at times there are going to be maybe some mechanical issues. Tell us more about what happens if there is an extended shutdown. You know, how are people evacuated? Stuff like that. Yeah, that's a great question and one that we've been thinking a little bit about lately. But before I get into that, I guess one additional reliability related consideration is redundancy. You know, redundant systems like backup motors and, and dual controls can be designed into the system. And the gondola would have uh, backup power generators at each station. So there's things we can do on the design side to help with, uh, with its reliability. Um, but getting into your question, Lisa, uh, the most common method of evacuation for a system like this would be to, to kind of manually pull a gondola cabin to a station and then unload passengers at those stations. So it would be pretty atypical for a rope to be used to belay people out of the cabins at mid-span and lower them to the ground. So that would be a really rare occurrence. And this, uh, the little cottonwood gondola alternatives are actually divided into three or four segments. So an individual cabin would not have to be pulled all the way to the, to the beginning or the end of the line. The alignment has what are called angle stations, and these angle stations are used to turn a corner in the gondola alignment because you can only turn really small angles, like one or two degrees at a tower. But these angle stations can also be used as evacuation points. 
And so for gondola A, there's an angle station near the Tanner's Flat Campground. And for gondola B, there's an angle station at the existing park and ride lot and another one at the um, Tanner's Flat Campground. Another thing is that the uh, gondola cabins, they'd be equipped with communication systems so that uh, passengers can stay informed of evacuation processes. And the cabins are also stocked with emergency supplies, you know, such as water and a little bit of food in the, in the event of a longer evacuation time. And these supplies also include, you know, bio waste receptacles for, uh, you know, when nature calls. And the last thing I guess I'll point out is that the, the gondola operations would, would maintain a robust training log and they would conduct frequent evacuation drills, just kind of their, as part of their standard operating practices. Well, sounds like all of those necessary components are considered. You know, it, there's there's a lot of information. I'm I'm just gonna I'm gonna put in a plug again for the website because there's so much stuff. And even though I have some of these numbers in front of me, Lisa, um, I I definitely need to refer back to them. So just everybody, little Cottonwood EIS .u.utah.gov. Just jump on there. All of this information that we've talked about today is on there as well as the bus alternatives and the cog rail and, and all of the stuff that, that goes into this EIS. So just make sure you're staying up to date uh, on the information there. So Josh, lots of info today, uh, lots of exciting possibilities uh, if this is the, the route that UDOT decides to go. Um, any closing thoughts, anything you want to add that you don't think we, we touched on today? No, I think we hit it all. And I just wanted to say thank you to you and Lisa for giving us this opportunity to talk about the project and obviously something we think about a lot. And it's it's just exciting to share it with the audience. Um, just a couple of quick thoughts and nothing new here, but just things to consider. <clears throat> like Terry said, really gondola systems are used around the world for transportation while it's not common here in the States outside of the ski industry, right? Terry mentioned Colombia, Vietnam, and there's a bunch of other ones. Lisa, I think you mentioned Belize, Brazil, sorry. Brazil. Mm -hmm. um, so close, so close. Um, again, these are fairly common transportation systems and those redundancies really can increase those reliability factors. And the main difference here between the gondola and the bus, while they both, and even the cog rail, honestly, um, all three options transport roughly the same number of people per hour as we've designed it, right? To keep the design apples to apples. But the difference in the gondola is that it's a separate alignment, which helps you know, if there's a slide off or a crash in the canyon, the gondola can still keep running in these situations or if avalanche debris crosses the road, like you said, Matt. So again, those were just a couple of things I wanted to hit and I'm looking forward to the opportunity to do this again here, um, probably next week, I'm guessing, where we can yeah, go to the details gonna... of the cog rail. This has been fun. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I'm. 
I'm actually I'm actually excited about the Cargrail. I just I don't know a lot about it, so that's that's why I'm excited to learn about it. And Terry, are you are you back with us for the Cargrail discussion? Yeah, that's the plan. I look forward to it as well. Sweet. Well, we thank you both for your time, Lisa. As always, you're incredible. You uh, you make me sound like I'm smarter than I am. So thank you for being on my side of the table here. Well, I'm happy to be here. And uh, just one more plug. Matt texted me just now and he wanted me to remind everybody to go to at you.cottonwoods on Instagram. It's amazing content. So thank Matt for that when you follow them. It's good stuff over there. Hey guys, thank you. Thank you everybody. And uh, we'll see everybody on our next episode. I'm ready. Um, sorry, it's dinner time and my cat's meowing like an idiot. So two seconds before he gets his kibble and then he'll shut up. Okay, now, totally now I'm ready. Okay. The cat. <laughs> There's the tap. <laughs>